I've got something for you to, um, to turn to, if you will. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 79 and the, the following one, 80. This week, as Jeremy alluded to, we are reading the Psalms. And this week, the group of Psalms were um, community or nation laments. There were six Psalms this week that we read. Two of them were um, penned by David. Two of them were done by Asaph. One of them was done by the sons of Korah. And the last one that we did, there's, there's not a uh, superscription. We don't know. It was anonymous who, wrote, who did this one. So, but the two that I'm going to be doing today, Psalm 79 and Psalm 80, are from Asaph. And if you heard any of my uh, sermon a couple weeks ago, I, I, we, did, we were doing the Psalms of Asaph. And I talked a lot about Asaph and who he was. He was a worship leader along David, with David. David appointed him. He was a Levite. And he was not only a worship leader, a song leader within the temple, but he was also known as a prophet or a seer. And that is important to know. But I'm going to deviate a little bit before we dive into 79 and 80. And I'm going to be doing both of them. So I hope you're seated and comfortable and you Gone to the restroom. But actually, no, it'll only be about a half hour. But anyway, I'm going to read something to you, and hopefully you're familiar with this. Okay? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Hopefully you recognize these words. As an American, you probably should. This is the preamble to the um, uh, Declaration of Independence that was penned in July 4th, 1776. Now, I'm not giving you this is an allusion to tomorrow being Flag Day. Because it is. Tomorrow's Flag Day. As an aside, I, am, I always remember Flag Day. You know why? Because it's also my anniversary. Tomorrow, Barb and I will be celebrating 35 years of marriage. Why she's put up with me for 35 years, we know that there's a God in heaven. Oh my gosh, it's, it's been a wild ride. She's stuck it out, I'm proud of her. Good job. <laughs> but that preamble to the, to the Constitution, I mean to the uh, Declaration of Independence is important. And the point I'm pointing out here is this. We know when this was written. If this was written today, we would all be, well, of course all men are created equal. Everybody knows that. I mean, we have a lot of people love right. All men are created equal, and they're all standing on this. But when it was written in 1776, this was, excuse the pun here, it was revolutionary. 
People didn't believe that all men were created equal. The system that everything was going around, there was slavery, there were, there were class systems, there were the upper class, there were the aristocrats, and there was the lowly, poor people, and they're there because that's where God assigned them. And that's where they should be. No, and then the, the founders got together and they said, according to scriptures and according to a lot of people looking at that, all men are created equal. It was downright revolutionary during this time. And they said, you know what? Also, from what I've read, the king or the ruler was answerable to the people that he governed or she governed. That was revolutionary. What do you mean? The king has to answer to his constituents? Oh, what about divine right of kings? This was this was. Absolutely revolutionary. And so it's significant when we go back and we read the Declaration of Independence, we go, wow, that's an amazing document for the time in which it was written. And that's very important when we read Psalm 79 and Psalm 80. So, let me... um, let me rant a little bit. As, as, a, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time, as I'm parsing out in prayer, reading God's Word, a lot of times I look at commentaries. And I have several sets of commentaries in my office that I tend to trust, tend to look at. And then there's, of course, we have the Internet, and I'm able to go in to all kinds of areas of commentaries. Look at Matthew Henry's back in the 1700s. You can look at all these other ones. You can look at Spurgeon. You can do all kinds of stuff, and you can look at the commentaries. But for the most part, when we get to Psalm 79 and Psalm 80, the commentarians, the commentarians, commentators? Yeah, that's it. Commentators? They're wrong! Don't trust these experts. They can help you to dive into the scriptures and to learn, but they are not canon. They're not scripture. In in the Jewish tradition, you have the Tanakh and you have the Mishnah, and these were oftentimes you will see rabbis quote Mishnah, quote the Tanakh. These are just commentaries from ancient rabbis saying what the scriptures said. Those are not gospel either. Those are not canon. God's word is God's word. Nothing else. So I can write all kinds of things about scripture from my point of view. and I could be wrong. And here's the main thing that really just gets me. When we read the Psalms of Asaph, and we're going to read them together. They will talk about the destruction of Jerusalem or the fall of the northern tribes. And so what the, what the commentators say, well, it must have been written after this time. Why? That's my question. Why? Why, why must it be written back? Well, because it's pretty, pretty graphic and pretty descriptive of what happened in the fall of Jerusalem or the fall of Samaria in that time. But the superscription 
from ancient times says this is a psalm of Asaph. And we know, founding in Chronicles, who Asaph is. We're very specific who Asaph was. And it's a contemporary of David. And so, David reigned about 1000 B.C., 1000 to 950. He, he, he reigned during that time. The, the fall of um, Samaria, or the northern tribes, about 786, or 722. And the fall of Jerusalem was 586. So there is a long span of time. So it causes commentators to do a little gymnastics. So when Asaph writes, well, there must have been another Asaph. Or maybe this was a sons of Asaph. I'm sorry, but the superscription doesn't say that. We have some writings of the Psalms and they don't have them from Korah, but they have them the sons of Korah. Which, why wouldn't they have said that in the superscription? They said, this is Asaph. Like, everybody knows who Asaph was. Because everybody did know who Asaph was. And because he's so descriptive, well, it must have been written after the fall. Why? We, we, we've already established from the reading in Chronicles two weeks ago that Asaph was known as a seer, as a prophet. And David, when he said some things about the messianic line, talking about that, they said, even Jesus himself calls David a prophet. And I think when commentators will say, well, Asaph is just crying out to God because during this time, this is when the fall was, it must have been another Asaph. It damages the idea that God is all-knowing and that he could present a lament for the people of Israel to sing to him before the actual destruction happens. That's how amazing our God is. And so there's also, and we'll read this, some reference Messianic references to Jesus. Well, does that mean that Asaph wrote it after Jesus was born? Because that's using the same logic. And so, as we dive into this, I want you to remember that this is Asaph writing about the destruction of Israel and Judah before it happened. And that's astounding. And I don't want you to miss the idea that God knows what's going to happen. He knows what's in your future. He knows what's in my future. He knows what's in the future of this country, of the world. The reason why that's important is because there are still some things that God has told us is going to happen that has not happened yet. And it's going to happen. Because God has a perfect record of saying when it's going to happen. I mean, that it's going to happen, and then it happens. So, let's dive into Psalm 79. And I'm going to be stopping along the way to just point out a few things, if you don't mind. That's okay with you. Okay, my rant is over. 
Let's dive into the scriptures. I'm smiling. Starting in verse 1. O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of, of heaven. Their blood, the flesh of your saints, to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. And there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to those who are around us. Let's stop right there. In a common lament, you will see in all of the lament psalms, the person doing, it's crying out to God and telling him what is happening. What is happening. He's, he's, God already knows. But it's important to know that when things are going bad, sometimes you just need to tell God, this is what's happening. This is what's happening in my life. This is what's going on. Does he know? Absolutely. But do you know, sometimes it's good to get it vocally, get it verbally out there. And this is exactly what Asaph is doing here. He's talking about he sees into the future that at some time there's going to be bodies strung out all over the place and wiped out. And God allows this to happen. And because he allows this to happen, we go to verse 5. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that you do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste to his dwelling place. How long, O oh Lord? This is a cry. We deserve this. I know that this is your wrath coming because we, we served other gods. We tried to be like everybody else. And we didn't follow your law. You spread out a law. This is how you, you should serve me and me alone. Don't, don't worry about these other gods from the nations that I've taken, taken you out of and given you this land. Don't worry about those other gods. But yet they still did. And so how long? How long is there going to be judgment? It's almost like he's looking in the future and he's, he can't do the... He, uh, I'm crying out to you, God. This, this, is, this is deserving, but how long? How long? We go to verse 8. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O oh God, of our salvation, for the glory of of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Asaph can see into the future and he can see that Jerusalem has been destroyed and the temple has been destroyed. So what Asaph in his mind who is someone who ministers in the temple, he realizes that with the destruction of the temple, there is no sacrifice being done for atonement of sins. There's no animals being slain 
to atone for the sins of the Jews because the temple has been laid waste. So he is going to God and say, God, we need you to do the atoning because we will not be able to. Will you use your tender mercies and atone for the sins with which we committed? He's, he's already got it. He's already latched on. We, sometimes we miss that whole thing. But yeah, he's, he's saying, with the temple being God, there's no temple sacrifices. There's no bringing thanksgiving offerings. There's no bringing guilt offerings. There's no bringing all of the offerings that were brought to the temple. They're gone. They cannot be done. So how can we be atoning for our sins? Only God can do it. And this is where Asaph is crying out to God for in his lament. And we go to Psalm 10. I mean, Psalm 79.10. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. He's, Asaph is appealing to God for his namesake. He says, other nations are going to say, hey, where is your God? You've just been wiped out. So obviously our God is stronger than yours. I mean, that's, that's the rationale. In fact, during the time of Jeremiah and when it does all fall down, a lot of the people in Israel are going, wow, I guess, I guess Nebuchadnezzar's gods are stronger than our God. Yahweh isn't the strongest because we've been defeated. When in fact, before all of this happened God warned them he told them in like Psalm 79 or in other places if you don't follow me if you don't do what I'm asking to do that we have covenanted at there on the, at the base of Mount Sinai then you will be wiped out he told them beforehand but during that time, the people in Jerusalem, even during captivity, even during uh, there being the siege, they're like, oh, this will never fall. This will never fall. This will never fall. And Jeremiah's going, no, that's not true. We should open up the gates. We should let them come in so not everything will be destroyed. Because Jeremiah knew that it was going to happen because of what Israel had been doing for hundreds of years. They weren't following Yahweh. They were following whoever was. Who was on. Who were on the hit list that week. And so. At this point. Asaph says this. So we. Your people. The sheep of your pasture. We'll give you thanks forever. We will shore forth your praise to all generations. Chapter 13. I mean, verse 13. 
This is Asaph thanking God for answering before he's answered. Before it happened. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, nothing will. One of the things I've tried to do, especially lately in men's prayer that we've been coming together on Thursdays and we've been doing it, is as I pray, is that we ask and we intercede for each other. There's, there are times someone will say, hey, I need prayer for this, blah, blah, blah. And the guy next to him, they don't pray for their own selves. They, someone else prays for them. And when I pray and I get to the end, I'm getting in the habit of thanking God for his answer even before he answers and it's been absolutely revolutionary. I mean, am I right, David? We have seen so many miracles happening in the prayers that we have been doing. And it's like, whoa. So I'm getting a little bit confident. So I said, thank you, God, for answering our prayers before it happens. And I think that's biblical. Wait, this is Psalm 79. This is Asaph doing the exact same thing. We should be doing the same thing. God is not the great order taker. He wants to deal with us in relationship. Yes, does he hear our prayers? Yes, does he seek to answer them? Absolutely. But you know what? More importantly, he wants a relationship with us rather than we just say, okay, God, here's my list. And so I try to be, it's helping me in my faith. Okay, so all of this, people can clearly look at it and say, this is probably about a lament about the fall of Jerusalem. And you would probably be right. Back when Nebuchadnezzar came, sieged him, and then took everybody out. Left everything in rubble. But that's not the only time Jerusalem has been sacked. You know, this could be later on when the, you know, other people came in and messed up And then finally, in 70 AD, when Titus the Roman came and destroyed Jerusalem again. I mean, it's just been a series of... So this could go for any of those times. Most commentators say, oh, it must have been the time. He wrote about the time of the fall of Jerusalem. No! This was before, and God was telling them it was going to happen. He called out. He did it. And now we go to Psalm 80. In Psalm 80 is another time, but clearly this is directed to the northern tribe. Okay? The, the ten tribes that were centered north of Judah and Benjamin during the divided kingdom. They fell first. They fell about 722, but it wasn't by um, Nebuchadnezzar. It was by um, the Assyrians. The Assyrians came down. They got all the way down to Jerusalem. And about the time of King Hezekiah and prophet Isaiah. Uh, speaking of Isaiah, in Isaiah's writing, he writes and he talks, he gives the king by name during the Persian reign, Cyrus. And so we have a lot of commentators say, oh, there must have been two Isaiahs because this is, must have been that. T-. No. Isaiah called Cyrus by name before, long before Cyrus was even born. That's what the Word of God does. It's, it's active. It's, it prepares beforehand because God is outside of time. When He writes His Word, 
He lets time fill in after he said everything. So, let's read Psalm 80. First two verses. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Stir up your strength and come and save us. Okay, look at the wording here. He's talking about you who lead Joseph like a flock. Okay, remember Joseph was one of the twelve sons of Israel. And he had two sons. And Joseph got a double portion. So two of his sons were given part of the inheritance. So you had Ephraim and you had Manasseh. He includes Benjamin. Okay? So he's including those three who were the sons of Rachel. Okay? Uh, Israel's favorite or Jacob's favorite wife. And so you have those three, and so many times during the, the prophets, when they, they talk about, when, during the divided kingdom, he talks about Ephraim, or talks about Manasseh, because those were clearly the northern tribes. Those were clearly the ones. And so Asaph writing during the reign of David is calling out these tribes because he knows there's going to be a division, and this will be the northern heart even before it happens verses 3 through 6 restore us O God cause your face to shine and we will be saved okay restore us O God cause your face to shine and we shall be saved you will hear that three times in this psalm and whenever you hear something once pay notice twice oh Got your ears open? You hear it three times? This is important. Oh Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry? Against the prayers of your people, you have fed them with breads of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Again, he's He's calling out, God, how long is there going to be this wrath upon us because we haven't done what you said we should do? Have you ever asked that of God? How long do I have to go through this? I mean, I'm sure my wife in 35 years of marriage, she's like, how long do I have to be married to this guy? A little longer, I guess. So, this is Asaph again reaching out, seeking God. Even though he's going through, he's calling to the only person who can make a difference. He has that hope. Even though he's lamenting, even though he is sad, he is still reaching out to the only one who can fix it. And that's God. And that, that's, you can, God can stand that with you. If, if, if you're upset, if things are going wrong in your life, it's okay to go, God, why is this happening to me? How? But I'm, you're reaching out to God. You're not just going, oh, life's just terrible. Oh. No, you're reaching out to only God because he's the only one that can change it. 7 through 13. 
Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. Hey, we've heard that before. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered in its shadow. And the mighty cedars with its bow. She sent out her bows to the sea. And her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges. So that all who pass by the way. Pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it. And the wild beast of the field devours it. During this time. In this lament. Asaph is giving a history lesson. And he talks about the sea and the river. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea. The river is the Euphrates. And during David's reign and Solomon's reign, when it was the United Kingdom, that's the stretch with which Israel was. That whole section was under the reign of David and Solomon. If they extended, that was the farthest it went. Went all the way to the Fertile Crescent, all the way to the Euphrates, and all the way to the Mediterranean Sea is much bigger. All right. 14 through 16. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It's burned with fire. It's cut down. And they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. This is, God, look what's happened. Even though it hadn't happened yet. He, look what's, what's going on. God, please, look upon this. We, we need you. Come, Lord, see what's happening. And continuing on. Verses 17 and 18. This even gets good. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand. Upon the Son of Man, whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. This is clearly a messianic reference to the Son of Man who will come and who will bring restoration and who will bring changes and returning back to Yahweh. Who is that man? Well, we found us, we're much farther down. We can look at it and go, oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. But way back in David's time with Asaph, he is looking forward, not looking back. He's looking forward to the lineage of David coming on this earth, not only being a man, but being God, and that's Jesus Christ. He calls him a man of his right hand. And by the way, we know that Jesus, when he was crucified and then he was resurrected, it says he goes and sits Where? At the right hand of the Father. So this is a prophecy that is being completed, that was completed. And so Asaph can be be called a true prophet of God because everything he said back then came to light. Came, it happened. And again he finishes. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You know what? We can, we can still say that today. Because God is all about 
restoration. All of us are sinners. All of us came to a time when we were beyond ourselves. We knew that there was nothing we could do to get it right. I mean, I know I did. I remember when I came to the end of myself and I finally realized that through all of my lying, through all of my figuring, through all of my crazy things that I did, that I was not getting it fixed. And so you know what I did? I had a lament. I went, God! That was my prayer. It wasn't long. It wasn't like Asaph. It was, God! And he met me there. I mean, that very moment. At the time that I was at the end of myself and I was screaming out to God. The phone is ringing and I'm, God! The phone's ringing. God! Okay, this is back when you actually had phones on the wall and stuff. Okay, I picked up the phone. Hello? It was my brother-in-law. And he didn't say, hey, how's it going? Just thinking of you. No, he said two words. What's wrong? What do you mean, what's wrong? Well, I was just praying for you, and God told me to call you. What? Guys, it changed my life. It changed my direction. God, if you're going to have my brother-in-law call me, you're interested in me. And that time, at that time, I, turned, I completely turned my life over to Christ. Barb didn't believe me. She was like, yeah, what game are you playing now? It took a while for her to figure out, hey, he's real. He's actually really following God. I know many of you have stories like that. I know you do. Some of you may not. Some of you still may be trying to figure it out and trying to do it. Let me tell you, let me save you a lot of grief. Trust God. Accept his son, his son who came to restore everything in a relationship with the heavenly father. Craig alluded to this. Christ came to die, to sacrifice, to be the complete offering, atonement, so that our sins are paid for. All we have to do is but accept what Christ did on the cross. Make him the Lord of our life. Now, is that going to make everything perfect for you in this world? No. I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. Life is still hard at times. We still go through some life. I still have some laments to God. God, how long? But he's faithful. He is so faithful. And I know that he's coming back. Because he said he's coming back. And there hasn't been a single thing that God has said that he was going to do that he has not completed. Won't you stand? So when you read a Bible, study Bible, or when you read commentary, and they say, oh, it must have been another Asaph, just laugh at him. Just say, no, no. God is good. God is great. 
And he's just waiting for you to come to him. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for these new and amazing serendipities that we discover if we would just read your word and take your word at heart. Father God, if you say it's Asaph, I believe you and I trust you and I thank you. Father God, there are times when we cry out to you. There are times when we need you. Help us, Lord. Meet us there. We look to you as our only hope. Help us. And I thank you beforehand when you will do amazing things for us even even before this happens. So, Lord God, you're good. I pray a special blessing on this congregation as they go before you this week, as they worship you, as they give your name a good name. Bless them. Direct them in the path of righteousness this week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.